0: With Bibles open to Ruth chapter 2, we are in a series of messages we've entitled God's Great Love Story. For the month of February, we are looking through the book of Ruth, and then when we hit March and All the way to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we will be examining God's Word in the Old Testament leading up to the cross and looking at God's great love story through the pages of Scripture. Last week, as we were in Ruth chapter 1, we met the main characters. Thus far, we have met Naomi, her husband, Elimelech. Their sons, Malon and Chilion, and of course, uh, these two boys married uh, two Moabite, two Gentile women named Ruth and Orpah. After the famine in the land of Bethlehem, uh, this godly family led by Elimelech left Bethlehem and went to Moab, went to the Gentile country, and, and we believe that they left Bethlehem and they went to Moab outside of the will of God. He didn't pray about it, he didn't consider it, he didn't fast about it, he just and ram because he thought this was the best decision. He he never prayed about it. So it was outside of God's plan, outside of God's purpose for their life. And so there in Moab, they met life's problems. And Elimelech died. The two sons of Naomi died. The, the husbands of, of Ruth and Orpah, these three men, they, they died. And they left uh, their wives as widows. And so here's Ruth, a, a Gentile woman, a pagan lady after her husband's death. She, she clings to her mother-in-law. Ruth received God, the, the God of Israel. She by faith trusted him and she began to follow the Lord. We come now to Ruth chapter two and, and I want to present and, and speak on the message of discovering God's will to you today, discovering God's Will, please stand in the honor of reading God's Word. Ruth chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says this, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said, She said, Well, Go to her, go, my daughter. So, verse 3, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she reaped to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Father, as we attempt to discover your will for our life today, Lord, speak to us from your word, we ask in Christ's name, and God's people said. Please be seated. One of the most often questions as a pastor that I am asked is, what is... God's will for my life? Does God have a will for my life? Does God have a a plan for my life? Does God have a purpose for my life? Is, Is there a plan out there for any of us? And I want to talk to you this morning about not only does God have a plan for your life, but how you can discover God's will, how you can discover God's plan, God's specific purpose for your life. And so we see from Ruth Ruth discovered God's plan for her life. Ruth understood that God had a specific purpose for her life. And as he had a specific plan for her life, God has a specific plan for your life. But if we want God to work in our lives and accomplish his purpose in our life, then certain conditions must be met. And I believe that these conditions are illustrated in the life of Ruth. So there's four I want to give to you straight from chapter two of the book of Ruth. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, write it down. Number one, condition number one, believe in a God who has a will for your life and he wants you to know it. That's condition number one. Believe in a God who has a will for your life and he wants you to know it. You see, God is committed to you. God is committed to seeing his plan and his will and his purpose brought out in your life. Now, there are certain things in the Scripture that we don't have to pray about that that are clearly God's will for our life. It's God's will that we don't tell a lie. It's God's will that we live a holy life. It is God's will that we study His Word, that we have a prayer life, that we grow spiritually. And you see, this is a will and a plan and a purpose for every believer. This isn't something you have to pray about. You don't have to pray, Dear God, should I read my Bible today? The answer is yes you should. God tells us that there are certain things that are His plan and His purpose for every life, every person who follows Him. And, and so we know that broadly speaking, there are certain items, certain things that, that are His will for all people. But specifically, specifically, what, what is God's plan specifically for me? Because you see, God has called me to do something he's not called you to do. God has gifted you in ways that he has not gifted me. And so you can do things that, that I cannot do. What what specifically, what specific plan does God have for us? There's a beautiful verse here in chapter 2 of verse 12. I, I want us to look at it. Verse 12 of, of chapter 2. In speaking with God, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Under his wings. Now, Bible scholars are debating as to what that means, the wings of God, because ultimately God is a spirit. He's not a bird. And so what what are the, What are these wings? What are the wings of God? And so scholars are, are split on what the wings of God are. One group of scholars believes that he refers to the wings of God as being the wings of, of a mother hen who, who gathers her brood. But I prefer to think of the wings of God as being wings of angels of the presence of the Lord. Those angels around the very throne of God, those powerful and and majestic beings that, that are near to the very heart and majestic throne of God, under His wings, there is the presence of God. There, this personal, intimate relationship with God lies. And you know, especially when things don't make sense in life, when calamities come, when problems come, we can run to the wings of God. We can seek His presence and there we can find safety. Psalm 57, verse 1. This is a verse that my pastor, Jack Graham, gave to me a few years ago when my brother committed suicide. And that verse has, has resonated in my heart and has brought me in times of calamity to the wings of God. Psalm 57, verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in Thee. And yea, in the shadow of Thy wings will I take refuge until all of these calamities be overpassed. You see Ruth they come under the care the the providential care and grace of the wings of God. <clears throat> Ruth had experienced Hard times. Ruth Ruth was newly married, and, and there she was living with her husband. Her husband just died, and, and now her whole world has, has tipped upside down. But the Bible says that she returned back to his land. He, she returned back to Bethlehem. She said, my God will be your God, and and, and, and or your, your God will be my God, and where you go, I will go. And she said, I will submit everything to him. She knew God personally. She became a friend of God. Then look at verse 3. We just read it. She left and she went and she gleaned in the field. Now, the reason why she did that was because of a reality that was in Ruth's life. Naomi and Ruth, they were poor. In fact, they, they didn't have two red pennies to rub together. They, they were dirt poor. They had nothing. And so what we find here in Ruth chapter 2 is actually a, a plan according to the law of Israel. It's a plan that, that, that according to the Bible... It allows poor people to go into the corners of the field and after the reapers have been through... The poor people can come by and pick up the leftovers. That's called gleaning. So here's the picture: you've got this massive field of wheat, and and the harvesters with their big sickle would go through, and and one person would just walk through and cut. A another person would come by and and gather the sheaves, and and as they would go through, they would intentionally leave a little bit, but there would be some heads of grain that would fall. And the poor people, according to the law of Israel, were allowed to come and work and come through the fields, and they would gather the heads of grain that were left behind so these the poor people in the in the days of 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 israel and even going into the days of jesus they were able to maintain their work and their dignity but yet also be supplied what a novel idea you see there's a politically charged notion here in this verse and i don't know where you stand on the topic of welfare and i'm not here to change your view i do believe in the spirit of welfare which is to provide for those people who can't provide for themselves. I think it's a noble action. However, our country is going bankrupt because we've become a welfare nation. It's where people want to take handouts for free. And they don't want to do any work for it. I'm all for supporting the elderly. I'm all for supporting the widowed. I'm I'm all for supporting the mentally handicapped. I'm all for helping families who are down and out. I'm all for food stamps and assistance for people who have lost their job. The Bible teaches, in fact, that we are to help the poor and the downtrodden. These things are noble. These things, these things are very much biblical. However, just with anything, people take advantage of the system. Which leads me to another principle we find in the Bible. It's something I pray that our nation begins to heed because if we don't, we're going to implode from within. And it's simply this, if you won't work, you won't eat. I know, I know it takes time to find a job and there's nothing wrong with accepting assistance to get back on your feet. We have church members who I know personally who have lost their, their job a long time ago because of the economy. And they have looked, and they have looked, and they have searched, and they have searched for a job, and they couldn't find anything. They needed, they needed assistance, and they received assistance, not only from the church, but also from the government. And that's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're looking for a job, and you can't find a job, it's not wrong with taking assistance. That's why the system is there. But the system begins to break down. The problem comes in when able-bodied people who would rather live on the assistance and not ever attempt to find a job. Now, I'm not being political here. I'm not spouting a a Republican or a Democrat ticket here. I'm not being political. I'm being biblical. Right here in Ruth chapter 2, we find God's welfare system. You allow the poor people to come in and those who, who are down and out, those who, who have been in rough times like we find Ruth and, and you allow them to work. You, you bring them in and you, you make sure that everybody is taken care of, that no one is going hungry, but still yet you're enabling people to work. God provided a, a work ethic for people, even poor people who didn't have anything. This wasn't a handout. They were to go to work, and they were to go in the corners of the field. And so Ruth, she became a gleaner. She didn't think that this was where she would be. This is not what she should be. But yet this is where she found herself, and there she's looking for leftovers. Scripture says that she was going. She, she had permission. She asked permission of Naomi to go. Verse 3, look at it. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now isn't that interesting? She happened to come to the particular fill belonging to Boaz. Now, this does not mean that this was coincidence, but yet this was divine appointment. This was the providence of God. Here she, come to, she came to uh, this fill by the grace of God. She was there under the sovereign grace of God, not by fate. Not by dumb, blind luck, but she came to this field not knowing who owned it. And she came to this field and it just so happened this was the field that belonged to Boaz. By providence of God. Now did you know that God is working providentially in your life? The same way he was working in Ruth's life, he's working in your life if you're a believer. Even if you're not a believer, God's working in your life bringing you to Christ. God arranges the circumstances of our lives and the conditions of our life. God is faithful in this way. God is faithful. You may find yourself right now gleaning in a field. You're poor. You you you, you lost your job. Either you're poor physically or financially or, or health-wise or spiritually, and you come and you say, I should not be here. This is not where life should have brought me. Everything was going well and then all of a sudden the rug was pulled out from me and, and I find myself now gleaning through this field with, with, with others who, who don't have anything and now I find myself picking up the leftovers. God, where, where are you in this? Where are you in this? You're never going to discover the will of God for your life until you ultimately believe that God is not against you, God is for you. And sometimes, listen to me, sometimes God allows you to go through hard times in life. Oftentimes, he allows you to go through hard times of life, as he did with Ruth, in order to bring you to the field. Ruth had no idea who that field belonged to. But yet, while she was gleaning in this field, God knew the whole time. Listen, friend, you may be gleaning in the field and thinking everything is against you, but this is the, God's divine appointment for you to be right where you are to receive the blessing he's about to give to you it it doesn't make logical sense but it makes spiritual sense number two if we're going to understand god's will we must make a full surrender of our lives to the lord we must make a full surrender of our lives to the lord this plays off of number one ruth said it last week your god is my god your people is my people She made a choice, and in in that very moment, she made a choice, and she began to do something very important. She began to work, and and her character began to grow. God worked on her character. We see her character coming through Scripture, and and a very little thing. In the the verses that we read, she actually asked permission from her mother-in-law to go and glean in the field. She didn't have to have permission. This was the law, the law of the land. If you wanted to go glean, you can go and glean. But yet she asked permission to go. We see her commitment to go and, and to follow her mother-in-law, Naomi. <laughs> Somebody once said, well, that is the height of spiritual holiness. You know Ruth had to be next to God if she's going to follow and live with her mother-in-law. <laughs> Don't amen that, brother. Careful. <laughs> We're going to move on from that, brother, all right? Don't want to touch it. My mother-in-law may be watching, and so I love you, Paula. But she had a love for her family. She trusted God. She she made a full surrender. It's what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. You see, it's with God, it's a matter of the heart. It's a heart attitude to understand and realize the will of God. It's a heart attitude. In all of my ways, in all of my heart, I acknowledge you. Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. The scripture says, commit your ways to the Lord and He will bring it to pass. Don't be afraid to unconditionally surrender your life to the leadership of the Lord. Believe in a God who leads you. Believe in a God who loves you and who who will lead you to the wonderful plan that he has for you. Thirdly, be faithful where you are right now, doing what God has designed you to do. So number three, be faithful where you are, doing what God has called you to do right now. That's what Ruth did. She went to the field and she worked and she worked hard. According to verse 6, she arrived early and she stayed late. These were not vaunted plans. She she had no idea about her future. She could not see as we cannot see past the end of our nose. We could not see, we cannot see into tomorrow. She had no idea that she would become the great-grandmother of King David and also through the lineage to Jesus Christ himself. She had no clue about that. Yet she did simply what she was called to do and assigned to do that day. Which was she felt led by the Lord to go and be, uh, follow Him a step at a time. She was faithful doing what God had, had for her that day. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't easy. But she did what she thought God was calling her to do. And that's how God leads us. It's the old statement. Have you heard this before? Bloom where you're planted. Have you ever heard that before? Where where you find yourself, work there. Work hard doing what you know you should do right now. Now, did you know that there's far more emphasis, emphasis in the Bible on doing the will of God rather than knowing the will of God? As you read your Bible, you're going to come over and over and over again in the Bible about doing the will of God and not necessarily knowing the will of God. But for you and I, we're the exact opposite, aren't we? We don't want to know how to do the will of God. We want to know what God's will is for me in 15 years, in 10 years. God, what, what are you going to do for me tomorrow? But the Scripture emphasizes, what are you going to do for God in the next 10, 15 minutes that you're given? You see, it's wise to think about the future. It's not wrong to make plans for the future. You should plan for five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road where, where you may find yourself. But Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Focus in on today. Focus in today as, as the Lord's Prayer said, give us this day our daily bread. What are you doing for with the will of God right now? What are you doing with the will of God right now? And did you know that God will not lead you one step further than the measure of your current obedience to Christ? That's a pretty loaded statement. You might want to write that down if you're taking notes because it's so true. God will not lead you one step further than the measure of your current obedience to Christ. What I mean by that is if you're living outside of the will of God, if you're not working, and and again, in the story of Ruth, the field is the will of God. Ruth is example of you and I. Boaz in the story of Ruth, if you haven't figured it out yet, Boaz is, is the God figure in this illustrative story. This is a story that actually happened, but it is also a story of, of you and I. This is our story. And when you're working in the field or you're in God's will, then God is going to take you step by step by step. But Christian, listen. You can be a, you can be a child of God, but yet be outside of His will, not working in His field, not worried about uh, what am I to do for God today. We we just set our our life, our spiritual life, in, in cruise control, and we just say whatever happens happens. Let let somebody else do it. Let somebody else take that. Uh, let let somebody else hold those babies. Let somebody else teach that class. Let somebody else do this. Look how many people we have in this church. And, and we have two services that are full like this in both services. There's, There's somebody else to do it. If you want to know what God's will is for you tomorrow, you need to be experiencing God's will for you today. And we should never, listen, I, I don't want to go down this road because we, we, we only have a set amount of time, but we should never have to ask for volunteers in a church this size. There should be so many people who are willing to say, whatever I can do, if that means driving a golf cart, if that means holding a door open, if that means teaching a class... That means holding a baby. I was in the kindergarten class. I read a story with them during our life group hour. And we have uh, so many kindergartners out sick today. But, but that class is burgeoning to the seams with, with kindergartners. who We, we, we have children who, who need people to just love on them and, and hold them and talk to them and teach them. We say, oh God, lead me to do something great. And God says, look... I've told you to give just one thin dime of every dollar that you make and give it to the service of Christ. We say, oh God, what is your will for my life? And God says, I told you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other parts. I told you to share your faith with others. Oh God, what is your will for my life? And he says, I have told you to be faithful in your walk and, and your devotion to me, to be in his word. And it's as if God says, if you're not going to be faithful to me in, in, in these small things, how do you expect me to bless you in the days ahead? All day, where the amens go. You see, it, it, we, we want to talk about God's will tomorrow, but we don't want to do what it's going to take to get there, do we? You see, Life is a series of steps, and if you're not in God's will today, you're not going to be in God's will 15 years from now. You must set yourself, set the trajectory of your life right here. And as you begin to take these small steps and you're faithful in what God has called you to do today in those little things, those things that he's called all of us to do, then as we're faithful in those little things, he will begin to show his will for your life more and more and more. He that is faithful in that which is little will be made faithful in that which is much. Jesus said, if you're faithful over small things, I'll make you ruler over many things. Do the will of God in your life as you understand it right now, today. And then number four, wait on God and be patient. Wait on God and be patient. That's what Ruth did. She, she waited on God. She was patient. She was determined. She stayed and she worked hard. You know, sometimes sometimes God works slow. He works Slow. Sometimes we're praying and, and, and we're saying, God, we wonder, God, are, are you ever going to come through? God, where are you at? God, I, I am breaking my back, bending over, picking up and gleaning out of this field. I've been doing this for years. And God, you've promised me and I, I've i tried to be faithful and I, I'm walking with you. I'm walking in your will the best way I can understand. And, and God, I'm breaking my back here. But God, where are you? Christian, listen up. Sometimes God moves slowly. And you must be willing to to wait. Don't move another inch until He leads you. Be patient. Be still. Know that He is God. Wait on God. But let me tell you something else. Sometimes God chooses to work in our life quickly. That's why we must be ready. That's why we must be in his word and, and in his will, because he's never going to call you to do something or say something that is outside his word. And so as you understand his word and you, you, you're in his word and, and you're, you're walking with him, God will begin to open doors. And oftentimes when God begins to bless, when God begins to pour his blessings on, those doors begin to fling open. Have you ever been in life, though, when a door seems to be open and as you began to try to walk through that door, it slams shut on you? You need to praise God. You need to praise God because, you see, God is the opener and closer of the life's doors. And when God closed the door, that means there's another door that he's going to open for you whether that's a job, whether that's a, a school, whether that's uh, for a future spouse, whatever that door may look like in your life, God will open and God will close doors however He sees fit. But we walk through the doors that that He opens. We We pray and we wait on God when the doors are closed. And this is exactly what happened to Ruth. Look at verses 4 and 5. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to his reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men, Who is in charge of the reapers? Whose young woman is this? Boaz sees Ruth out here in the field, and she says, Hey, who is she? She's been out in the field. Understand this. She's, Ruth must have been a, gir- a gorgeous woman because she wasn't out in the evening town uh, out there in the field. She'd been out there all day. Her hair wasn't done. Her makeup wasn't on. She was wearing torn and beaten clothes. I don't know what you said, but I want to keep going. She's working hard. She's working hard. She hasn't fixed her hair. She's not done anything. And Boaz saw her character. She was sweating. I know you're not supposed to say women sweat. She was, she was glowing. There was a glow about, about Ruth. And Boaz looked and he, he saw past her glowingness and, and past her, her work clothes. And she, he saw her heart. Remember, Boaz in the story is representative of God. Ruth in the story is representative of you and I. We come to God with torn and tattered with nothing. Not one thing can we bring to God, but yet God looked at us and he said, I, there's something about that person. You're my child. Come here. And we see that with Boaz and Boaz sees Ruth and and he says, who is she? Bring her to me. She's, he, he, he saw her character. He saw her commitment to the Lord. He began to bless her. Ruth was in need of a blessing, and Boaz was capable of giving a blessing. Yet another sermon in that statement. So many in this room are praying for a blessing. But there are others in this room, and God has has, has brought you to the place in your life where you could actually be a blessing to someone else. Maybe God has called you to be a Boaz. Maybe he's blessed you financially or he's blessed you with, with gifts and you can use those gifts or you can use that money in the work of the Lord and you can bless someone who, who is praying for a door to open but yet uh, God is going to use you in his providential plan to open that door for someone else. Hmm. That's what happened here. Boaz said in verse 8, he said, I, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to bless you. He said, I don't want you to go anywhere else. I'm going to take care of you. You don't need to run to any other fields. You don't need to run here or there. You stay right here in my field. Again, Christian, listen, you don't need to go into the world to be satisfied. You stay in God's field. You stay where God has planted you, where God has you. And it may be hard. It may be rough. It may be uh it, it, it may cause even problems in, in in your own in your own life. It may cause stress and, and issues and problems, but but yet God says, Stay in my field, stay with me. Don't leave. Don't forsake me, for I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you. Don't run to other fields. Be with me. I'll meet your needs. Boaz says, I'll make you a promise. Not only did Boaz make a promise, he said, I'm going to protect you in verse 9. He gave her a promise. He said, you can come here. Then he said, I'm going to protect you. He, he, he said in verse 9, he told the young men, don't touch that girl. I'm protecting her. Then Boaz said, he, not only did he give her a promise, not only did he protect Ruth, but he also said, I'm going to provide plenty for you. Verses 14 and 16 tell us that Boaz told his reapers. He said, everything that I told you about reaping, I want you to forget. I told you in reaping that the goal of reaping was to grab as much of the, the head of, of, of the grain that you possibly can. And the more grain you bring in, the more you get paid. Now, I want you to forget everything I told you. Because you see, my, my, my heart is now heavy for another person. And when you go and I when you glean, I want you to intentionally to drop a lot of that head of grain on the ground. Because you see, somebody's going to come behind you and they're going to pick that up. You see, he provided plenty for Ruth. This is exactly what he's done for us. When we wait on God, when we're discovering God's will, he's made us a great and wonderful promise, hasn't he not? How much more, Jesus said, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? He has given us great and mighty promises right here in his word. He's also said he will protect us. The Bible says that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So not only has he given us a great promise, but he's also told us that he's going to protect us. And then he also said, I'm going to give you plenty. I'm, I'm going to provide for you. I will supply all your needs according to the riches, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe you find yourself as a non-believer. God's will for your life as he's pursuing you is to bring you to a place where you come to the realization that you need a savior. His name is Jesus. He died for you. He took your sins away. So God's will for your life, if you're not a believer, is to be a believer. If you are a believer, God's will for your life is to follow him day by day. And as you follow him day by day, as you begin to, 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 to work and to serve God in the, the little things, he will begin to reveal his ultimate plan, his ultimate purpose for you as the days come along.